What an incredible rags to riches story. Joseph goes from the prison to the palace in a single day. But of course, it wasn't just in a single day, was it? In fact, it was 13 years from when he was sold as a slave to when he was promoted to the position of vizier, or we would say prime minister. That's a long time. But it was not wasted time. God used that time to humble Joseph and to prepare Joseph for this task that God had in mind to be his way of life. Remember that. God prepares you for what he calls you to. And often that preparation is painful. Often it takes place in the shadows. And often it happens without our knowing or understanding or in any way comprehending the end game. Welcome to Into the Word with Paul Carter. I'm your host, Woody Woodland. God prepares us for what he calls us to. Although, as we will witness in the story of Joseph, this work often takes place without any understanding on our part as to the eventual endgame. Here to tell us more about that is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Genesis chapter 41. Two chapters ago, we saw God purifying and preparing Joseph for greater responsibilities in the future. And in the last chapter, we saw him orchestrating the circumstances by which he would be promoted. And now, in chapter 41, we see the culmination of that long and probably very confusing process. You remember that God positioned Joseph so as to interpret a dream for an important official in Pharaoh's household. Everything Joseph said came true, but the cupbearer did not immediately remember Joseph or commend him to the king's attention. But circumstances are about to change. We pick up the story in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Now let's just stop and notice the timing there. God is distressingly patient at times, isn't he? It doesn't seem to bother God at all to take years and decades in order to purify and prepare his people. He didn't recruit Moses until he was 80 years old, for crying out loud. And of course, we want him to do this work in a semester, or better yet, in a weekend. But God takes the long road. As St. Augustine famously said, there is no human analogy for the divine sense of time. I suppose if you dwell in eternity, then two years seems like nothing, not even a whisper of nothing. But to Joseph, languishing in prison, I'm sure it felt like a very long time. And just remember that, friends. God is more of a crockpot God than a microwave God. He does it right, and more often than not, he does it slow. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Verse 2, And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. Now, sometimes when we hear that, it sounds even weirder in our brains 
than it actually is. The, the dream isn't about cows arising mystically and wispily out of the river. The dream actually begins with a very common down-to-earth scene. The cows in Egypt often stood neck deep in the river as a refuge from the heat and the flies. And then when they were hungry, they came out to feed on the grass. So that's what's happening here. There are cows cooling off in the river and they come wading out. The first seven are attractive and plump. Verse 3 goes on to say, And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Again, the Bible reader sees parallels here with the dream narratives in Daniel. In those stories, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that troubled him, and he called all of his wise men and all of his magi, but they couldn't help him either. God is putting the king in need so as to exalt and promote his chosen servant. And that's what we see happening next. Verse 9 says, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Again, like Daniel, Joseph is careful to ascribe all wisdom, power, and insight to God. That is the type of person that God is interested in promoting. Remember that. Verse 17, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile, and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. 
I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephenath-Paneah, and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. What an incredible rags-to-riches story. Joseph goes from the prison to the palace in a single day. But of course, it wasn't just in a single day, was it? In fact, it was 13 years from when he was sold as a slave to when he was promoted to the position of vizier, or we would say prime minister. That's a long time. But it was not wasted time. God used that time to humble Joseph and to prepare Joseph for this task that God had in mind to be his way of life. Remember that. God prepares you for what he calls you to. And often that preparation is painful. Often it takes place in the shadows. And often it happens without our knowing or understanding or in any way comprehending the end game. You just have to trust that God knows what he's doing. 
Job did. He didn't know what God was up to, but he he knew that it was ultimately for his good. He said, Job 23.10, but he, God, knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. That was Job's faith, and that was Joseph's faith. And in God's perfect timing in both cases, their faith became sight. Pastor Paul, I want to jump in here if I can. I feel like this is a very common question, and given some of what we're going through right now as a culture, a very timely question as well. It feels like in this episode, you're trying to answer the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Am I hearing that right? Yeah, I think so. The story does seem to lean that way. Uh, Some really bad things happen to Joseph. Now, I'm not sure that we want to say that Joseph was a completely innocent sufferer. He comes across in parts of the stories as pretty arrogant and a little bit spoiled. But there is no doubt that his suffering is unjust and ultimately unrelated to his sins as a young man. As we keep reading the story, we discover that Joseph's suffering has more to do with God's plan to save his brothers than it has to do with Joseph himself. And that's probably important for some people to hear, because sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that every bad thing that happens to us is some sort of punishment for some sin that we've committed. But this story is pushing back on that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And the Bible in general pushes back against that. The Bible says that there is suffering in the world because of sin. This is, after all, a fallen world. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. Human beings are not operating at the level that they're supposed to be operating at. The universe was created with a certain order or hierarchy. Human beings were supposed to be under God and over everything else, but we've fallen. So we aren't over everything else, which is why it feels sometimes like the world is spinning out of control. We were supposed to drive the bus, but we've fallen into the back seat. Now, that isn't to say that the world is hurtling through the universe willy-nilly. God, in his providence, is overseeing and directing so as to bring all things to the end for which he has ordained them. And part of how he is redeeming and restoring us is through the strategic and intentional application of suffering. Suffering from a big picture perspective is supposed to make us aware of our fallenness. It is supposed to destroy our appetite for sin, and it is supposed to refine our character and equip us for life and ministry. But, and it's a big but, the relationship between sin and suffering is so complex that we can never point at this particular suffering and draw a line to that particular sin. So as to say, this is because of that. The disciples tried to do that in John 9, and Jesus rebuked them. Do you remember that? They said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the disciples had two guesses, and they were wrong on both counts. They thought it might be because of the sin of the man, or they thought it might be because of the sin of his parents. But Jesus says, sorry, wrong answer on both counts. This suffering has been ordained by God for reasons of his own glory. And that's all you need to know. And that's the same thing we see in the book of Job. Yes, I was going to ask you about that because you mentioned Job in the program audio. There's a lot of similarities between Job's story and Joseph's story. Yeah, a ton of similarities. In both cases, the suffering experienced by the individual was explicitly not related to any sin that they had committed. 
Neither men were perfect, but in both cases, the story makes it clear that their suffering was not punishment for their sin. It was serving a purpose of God that neither man actually knew about. But Job's friends tried to suggest that it was his fault, didn't they? Yes, and unfortunately, many Christians today are no better as counselors than Job's friends, Job's miserable counselors, as they're sometimes called. Our minds naturally want to connect the dots. We, in our minds, we just want to say, this cancer is because of that adultery, or this wandering child is because of that lack of faith on the part of mom and dad. We, we love to connect the dots, and we love to beat ourselves up or to beat our friends up by sharing these ill-considered connections. All right, but back to the Joseph story now. Joseph languished in prison, suffered false accusations, terrible deprivations, and the betrayal of family members, and then later friends in the prison system. Joseph had it bad, and yet it was all part of God's master plan to work salvation for Joseph's family and for the entire region. That's amazing. And are we right in making a personal application out of that with respect to our own suffering? Absolutely. The Apostle Paul does that very thing in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 4. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So Paul says that God ordains certain experiences of suffering in our lives so that we can reach out and access strength and comfort from God through Christ And then having found those resources, turn around and share those resources with other people who are suffering in similar ways. The bottom line is we live in a world filled with hurting people. So it would be strategically unwise of God to only bless and only prosper and only reward his covenant people. How in the world would we be able to relate to regular folks? This world is broken and it's not going to be reached by shiny, happy people who've never suffered. We need people who have graduated by the grace of God from the school of affliction. Job was that kind of guy and Joseph was that kind of guy. Joseph was hardened and tested and refined by his suffering into exactly the sort of leader that was needed to save the Egyptians and to save the people of Israel right along with them. So when next you go through something really hard, instead of asking, God, why is this happening to me? Instead, ask, God, what is this happening for? What are you trying to do in me? What are you preparing me for? Who is it that you would like me to reach or comfort with the gospel grace that you have given me in the midst of this trial? And that's part of what these stories are trying to do. They're trying to build faith in the hearts of believers that their sufferings will be used for the glory of God and for the salvation of other people, because that's true. We've seen that happen again and again and again in the history of the covenant community. Amen. I'm glad we had the chance to talk about that. Let's jump back into the story now at verse 46. Verse 46 says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. 
And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. God knows the beginning from the end. He knew this famine was coming, and so he sent Joseph to save Egypt, to save Jacob and his family, and to save people from every tribe and nation in the region. I like what Derek Kidner says here. He says, What Joseph was to the men of his day, this and more would Jesus be to the world. Amen to that, and thanks be to God. Pastor Paul, I love that quote by Derek Kidner there at the end that says, What Joseph was to the men of his day, this and more would Jesus be to the world. We've been talking a fair bit about how the sufferings of Joseph speak to us in our troubles, but Joseph's story can also be used to help us better understand Jesus. And it's used that way, if I'm not mistaken, in Stephen's sermon in the book of Acts. Yes, it is. In Acts 7, Stephen is trying to establish a general pattern. And the general pattern is that God sends redeemers to his people who are often mistreated and who endure incredible injustice. And, of course, the story of Joseph fits that pattern perfectly. So Stephen says in verses 9 to 14, And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh, and Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all, closed quote. So Joseph suffered and endured incredible hardships, but all of that was used by God to save his father and all his household, 75 people. 75 people were saved through the sufferings and injustice experienced by Joseph. How much more the people who've been saved through the sufferings experienced by Christ As the Apostle Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. 1 Peter 3.18 So the general pattern in the Bible is that a righteous Redeemer 
will suffer incredible hardships and indignities that will seem like punishment, that will look like abandonment, but that actually in the providence of God will be used to bring salvation to a great many people. That's the pattern. And of course, Jesus fulfilled that pattern perfectly. Amen. I love it when we see anticipations of the gospel in the Old Testament. The story of Joseph is like a gospel illustration in advance, and I know we're going to hear more about that in the weeks and the episodes to come. As always, friends, if you're looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find that over at the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca, or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes Store or on Google Play. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and with other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just enter Into the Word into the search bar. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday morning as we continue our journey together through the whole counsel of God. We'll see you then. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. 